It's my podcast. Change, change. Of course we're talking about change. Of course, why not? So, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you the truth, too. Here's my podcast. Yeah, what's going on, everybody? Uh, today is July the 18th, 7 o'clock p.m. My name is Andre Anderson. I'm both host and founder of BSTL. What does BSTL stand for? It stands for Building Something That Lasts. So anyways, can I just tell you something very quickly? Uh, and I don't want to harp on it too long here, but I just celebrated a birthday on July the 16th. Okay, so that's my birthday, uh, my birthday month. I am a cancer. I don't really follow all the signs and stuff, but you know, you guys do. So anyways, I'm a July baby. And so uh, I'm looking forward to what this new year is going to bring uh, my way. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited. And again, thank you all. Um, we are beginning to pick up some viewership, not viewership, listenership, um, around the world, uh, different spaces are beginning to tune in. So I just want to say thank you and uh, keep sending the comments. Um, BSTLinc21 at gmail.com. You can find us on rss.com. You type in BSTL there. We're also on Spotify. Uh, where else are we on? Amazon Music. I'm sure I'm forgetting something, but if you type in BSTL, uh, it's an easy find there. So anyways, um, today's uh, episode is entitled, Let the Chips Fall Where They May Fall, and I'm going to be having a conversation about the importance of understanding the culture around what happens before the meeting and after the meeting, before the meeting and after the meeting. So um, let me start here. Um, true story, uh, many years ago, um, I was at a particular organization working there uh, in a leadership capacity. And uh, one of the things that I normally do as a general practice is I usually like to go and meet uh, board members. I like to meet some of the influencers. I like to meet the people. I like to have conversations. As a matter of fact, one of the first things I do is I, I usually like to have a town hall meeting of some sorts, uh, uh, just so that I can allow for individuals to speak um, openly. And usually that happens when you uh, do that before you begin to make any uh, decisions. I like to do that so that uh, people will get to hear my voice. They get to hear uh, my thoughts, but also I like to hear their voice and I, I like to see the room. I like to read the room. I like to get a sense of who am I going to be leading in this particular uh, capacity. So anyways, again, true story. Um, I start at this particular place, and one of the things I do in that moment, uh, and again, I think that I've grown since then, um, but I met with an individual. Now, this particular individual is, was um, a tremendous influencer in that particular organization. We sit down, and we begin to talk, and we begin to have uh, conversations about, uh, you know, what I'm thinking about doing. Uh, what's been happening, how can we work together, uh, challenges, opportunities, threats, whatever. You know, we do a little SWAT conversation. And uh, in that moment, what I'm not necessarily clear on because of how the conversation is going, I feel as though in hindsight, I kind of shot myself in the foot just a little bit. Now, let me explain why. For me, generally, as a leader, unless there's something like uh, like a major challenge uh, around ethics, 
when people come to talk with me, no matter what um, I say or they say, it always stays in the room. It, it's just the way that I operate. I think it's a, a good place to be. I think as leaders, you have to be known as one who does not betray confidence. I think people need to know that when they come to speak to you, uh, whatever happens there, it stays there. And, and that's the way that I am. That's the way that, that I choose to operate as a leader. However, one of the things that I have discovered is that not everybody operates the way that I do. So it's possible. And I've been burned a couple of times where I have conversations where I think they are offline, uh, not because I'm trying to be private or stealth about anything, but you know, the nature or the sensitivity of the conversation, I think it's going to be a private thing. And I have been burnt a couple of times where people have quoted me without context. And so I'm generally very, very, very careful. So back to this story, I have a conversation with the individual about, you know, some of the next moves, things that I would like to see happen over the next several months and or years. And in that moment, the reason why I feel as though I shoot myself in the foot is because the individual does not keep that conversation um, confidential. They share, uh, unbeknownst to me, um, some of what um, is said there. And as a result of that, it, it almost uh, makes it difficult for me as a leader to be able to navigate in some of the spaces within that organization uh, because individuals may have uh, a perception of me uh, that may be a little bit lopsided because I think you have to be careful and not assume that because one person says something that that is exactly how the thing goes. And so therefore, years later, and as I'm now having this conversation with you all here, I recognize that I actually think that more leaders need to have any and every conversation unless there is something that is uh, really private, um, a secret in, in some type of nature. I, I do believe that individuals need to have these conversations in an open and public forum. I, I, I don't know why um, a lot of how we do things in leadership and business uh, call for these uh, conversations where individuals are now lobbying before meetings, uh, lobbying after meetings to try and get their own way. Now, let me tell you why I think that this is a challenge. I think that the offline meeting can be damaging because depending on who is a part of those conversations, this may impact how people receive and see how the information goes. So here's what I'm saying. When there are offline meetings that are much more impacting and influential than the actual meetings themselves, those that are not in those spaces to hear what people are saying offline, they don't have the benefit of having their voices um, placed in the room to see what's actually happening. And of course, for those of you that have been following this podcast, uh, you'll know that transparency for, transparency for me is everything. And when I say transparency, I know that it's going to be almost impossible to share 100% of everything all of the times. But I think that as leaders, we do have to create an environment where people do understand that whenever we have a meeting, what needs to be said needs to be said right there and right then. So here's the thing, though. In these meetings, um, I think that it's the leader's responsibility to create the type of environment where people will feel safe to say what they have to say, even if it is not popular. So here's the observation I also make. I, I find that 
for a lot of leaders, they don't give deference to everyone. Uh, they don't give uh, the same air to every single voice that's happening in that room. I think that at times, depending on who who's in the room, whether they are um, influencers, uh, financially in a better position to do things, and the list goes on, we have this tendency of waiting to hear from the voice that seems to be the most informed. And once that person speaks up, we have a tendency of going that way fairly quickly. So what ends up happening is, is that if that person who understands that they've got this leverage of voice and they have the capacity <clears throat> to uh, sway the room, they use the, 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 the before meeting and the after meeting as a way of making sure that when they go into the room, there is very little opposition. And can I just say this? As leaders, we have to be careful that we are um, aware of the individuals that do have the voice, uh, individuals that we do know work behind the scenes to try and um, push their agenda forward. We have to find a way to help them to share in the space and also create a space for others uh, to also voice their concerns. So how do I do that? How I do that is um, during these meetings, uh, especially if I know that perhaps somebody may have an angle uh, that may have been shared before, but they're not going to share it in the room. I may not say where I heard it from, because sometimes what you hear, it may not necessarily go that way. But what I will do is I'm going to introduce in the third person the uh, dissenting voices on the conversation so that no one can say that we didn't say it. Like, I mean, how many times have we left a meeting and there are people offline that have said, here's what I'm going to say in the meeting. And they don't, they say absolutely nothing. Uh, they don't share what they have to say. They may even go against the point that they actually had because they don't want to be seen as the, you know, excuse the term, but the Reverend Killjoy. And so for the purpose of creating a temporary peace, they don't necessarily always say how it is that they're actually feeling. Now, there's a problem with this, though, um, this temporary peace that most people try to guard with everything, even at the cost of the organization, this temporary peace is going to be the root cause of an infectious disease that is going to fester in the organization, whereby people are no longer going to be honest in the room about how they are actually feeling about various things that need a vote, that need um, some type of direction or way forward, uh, unless they get to a place where they see that the room is not necessarily a place for peace, but the room is a space where people hash out their ideas. Now, the other challenge to this as well is you're really creating a two-tier system when you um, allow for the offline conversation to happen. And we've seen it before, right? And I think that it happens often and frequently in politics where individuals, no matter what's happening, they will always go along with what the voice is of that particular group of individuals. Well, the problem is long after those individuals are no longer in the room, whether they've retired or they've quit or they've been fired or they move along to somewhere else, the reality is they've now helped to create a culture that says, if you really want to get work done, do it offline. Now, let me also go a little bit further in here. 
because we all know uh, that in these moments, these offline conversations do also further reinforce this idea around favoritism. And if there's a thing that I can't stand in organizations is when certain individuals, no matter what they say, we always go that way because that is the golden boy or that's the golden girl. And let me just say this, those individuals also, for the purpose of their own personal um, integrity, they need to use the voice of influence that they carry with, uh, with heavy weight, and they need to at times help those who do not have a voice to create a voice. Because ultimately, when we think in terms of organization, organization is not just the two or three or five individuals that are at the top uh, that are responsible for making decisions and making the way um, forward. No, no, no. The organization is every single entity that has something to do with the overall direction of the organization. Now, I think this is partly why I would love to see the structure of many organizations change, right? Like when you usually have um, a, a, a board of sorts, it's usually those that are leading, you know, upper management. Those are the individuals that are in the room. I would love to see a multi-layered type of uh, structure uh, created and implemented whereby even individuals that may not completely understand uh, everything that's happening, by having them in the room, um, you're allowing for them to be exposed as to, to how decisions are made, right? Like sometimes when a decision's made, I think that uh, the challenge is people don't know, like, how did you make that decision? Like, why did you choose to go left instead of right? Why did you choose that color um, uh, why not a different color? Why did you choose to spend the money in that direction versus um, funneling it in a different direction? And the reality is a lot of times when, when decisions have to be made, especially when um, a lot of the conversation happens offline, people are not able to um, see the big picture. Now, the other thing is too, is that when people are unable to see the vision and see the direction and see where it is that you are planning on going, ultimately you create a culture where there is not a lot of trust. And if there's a thing that will make something go sideways very quickly, it's a bunch of people who are sitting in the room looking at one another across the room and there is no trust. And here's the thing, you can make all the decisions that you would like to, but ultimately, those that are not in the room that will ultimately have to um, uh, help to implement and see, see out the ideas that are created in these spaces, you really are creating um, a, an organization that ultimately may not thrive so well because if the trust is not there and the offline conversation is the thing that is replacing the online conversation, then really and truly you're not creating a space where foundationally at the core, unity is a part of what happens. Now, this also will impact long-term your ability to collaborate. Oh, and if I could tell you, the amount of times I have seen because of these offline conversations, you have individuals that have a lot to offer, like they're smart, 
they're intelligent, and because of the work that they may do inside and outside of that particular organization, they have some very, very, very good skill sets that some of us will never end up hearing because when they see how the process happens in terms of how decisions are being made, they say to themselves, I don't necessarily want to have anything to do that. And here's the truth. As a leader, I don't blame them, especially in a volunteer type of setting. I don't blame individuals for walking away when they're not being compensated for the work that they're doing when they realize that because of the culture that says the offline is the real room and it's the real space where real decisions are being made, they say to themselves, I don't like to be messy at all. So how then does the leader then, and let me just say this, as leaders, you cannot um, afford to avoid this type of culture within your organization. And I've seen this happen before, right? And I I think I'm also guilty of it. Um, I don't think I do it as much now because it's such a thing uh, towards me that I have a a disdain towards. Like you cannot uh, pretend that you don't know that these offline conversations are happening right? You, you cannot. And here's one of the things that I've been grateful for um, throughout uh, my years of leading, that when sometimes the offline um, conversations are so sickening and so infectious in a negative way to the organization, I have often um, had individuals, and I'm grateful for them, that have come and said, hey, uh, Andre or Pastor, Here's some of what people are talking about that they may not say um, in the room. Um, I don't want you to mention my name, but I do want you to be aware of that which is happening offline. And in those moments when I've had the ability to hear what people are saying, even though they may not say it in the room, I'm going to quote the saying, but I'm not going to uh, betray the confidence of the person that has said whatever it is, or persons that have said whatever it is that have been said. You have to, as a leader, say what it is that you're hearing, even if it's not, um, you know, a quote all the way. Sometimes, you know, as we've heard the old adage that says, where there is smoke, uh, there is fire. You have to be courageous enough to say, hey, here's what I heard. Even if what you've heard doesn't necessarily paint you in a good light. And, you know, I've, I've mentioned this before in, in some of the previous episodes. I think that one of the worst things that can happen for a leader is when they get to a place where they're so concerned with preserving who they are uh, to the organization, preserving their own positional power and or influence to the point where they no longer care about the impact of how they lead or how they don't lead. And I know, I I know, I know it because I've lived through it, I've seen it, I've experienced it, I've done it before. Sometimes the easiest way is to avoid the conflict and save yourself for another day. But there's an ethic behind it that I just can't seem to shake. And it goes something like this. Whenever there are issues that we have when we are leading during our tenure, when we do not um, nip it in the bud, we now have created an environment that another leader is going to have to deal with upon arrival. And they're going to have to deal with something that is now more older, 
um, in its time. It's more deeply ingrained in the overall culture. And instead of them moving the organization forward, they're going to have to pause now to deal with some things that have nothing to do with what they're trying to do and what it is that they are trying to accomplish. Now, the bigger picture on top of this all is then you also begin to have dissension amongst management and employee. Now, think about this for a moment. Um, whenever things happen offline and no one does anything, it's not just the distrust that is created in the room amongst the leaders that have to make decisions. It's the distrust of those that are also not in the room that only have the benefit of identifying and seeing what it is that happens through the, the programming, the ideas, the mission, the vision, the core values, et cetera, et cetera. They only have the benefit of seeing a document, but they don't have the benefit of being a part of this rich conversation. And so as leaders, um, we have to be able to see some of these blind spots. We've got to be able to identify the fact that, hey, when I make a decision or when I choose not to um, uh, speak to some of the on, online or offline challenges that are there, I am essentially helping to reinforce a negative behavior and or negative perceptions that even those that are not in the room may have of the overall organization because they're looking for us as leaders to do something about whatever it is that is impacting the overall health of the organization. Now, let me also say this. In order to do this, you kind of at some point as a leader have to be willing on some level to stand alone for the greater good of the overall organization itself. And let me just say this, full transparency, in order to change this culture of offline, it may cost you you um, your ability to be included or being uh, a part of the overall nucleus of what's happening wherever it is that you're working. But you have to ask yourself, am I here because I want to preserve me or am I here because I want to make a difference? And let me just say this, breaking culture is difficult. I think it's the hardest thing that I've ever had to do no matter where it is or how I'm working. Culture is not something that breaks because you have a meeting. Culture breaks because you consistently decide that the things that are impacting the organization, I'm going to put some policies and procedures and some uh, team building in place to ensure that slowly but surely this thing begins to be chiseled away. So now I'm going to say something here, and this part here is probably the hardest part. I think that um, when we want to change the offline and we can see that leadership is beginning to get or create a dent in fixing this problem, we also have to ensure that those that are above that kind of middle level leadership, they have to send individuals to work in those organizations that reinforce the principles that the predecessor is trying to put into place. Now, let me say it a different way. If you can see that there is slowly but surely becoming a cultural shift 
in whatever organization you're in, you cannot afford to have somebody come after someone that has done the work and they have created a new space and they are implementing and driving home and cementing some new ways of doing business. You can't afford to send someone there that is not going to be courageous because the thing is most people will kind of remain silent only for a season. And we know that there are people that will wait people out. You know, like if you know that somebody's going to be leaving, you'll just sit down there quietly and wait and wait and wait because this too shall pass. But organizationally and leadership speaking, when somebody now recognizes the the nature of the culture and they understand that this may not necessarily be a collaborative space, what they have to do is make sure that they keep sending a similar type of temperament, even if they don't lead in the exact same way, that will reinforce and break the culture to the point where we will see real change and really see that the organization is going to now move and and be catapulted in a direction that will create the type of space where real change can happen. Now, finally, before I end this one, and I hope that you've enjoyed this conversation, let me just say this to individuals that feel like checking out. You you can't. Let me just say this again. Because not everyone that is a part of an organization is a part of an online or offline conversation. Those that are discouraged, you can never get to a place where you say to yourself, I'm done and I'm never going to do anything because this is what it is. Because I think the worst thing that could happen to any organization is when leaders get to a place where they say nothing, knowing that in their silence, they are helping to further solidify behavior that creates conflict, that creates dissension, that creates division. I think the worst thing that can happen for any um, space is when good people who have the intent of the organization become quiet. Again, my name is Andre Anderson. BSTL stands for Building Something That Lasts. And in this conversation, this is what we're trying to do. Help you to build an organization, build an environment, build a culture that says we're going to be courageous enough to say what needs to be said in the meeting because we're not just thinking about personal uh, preservation, we're thinking about the overall growth and building of whatever the organization stands for. And when that happens well, I think that ultimately these companies, these organizations, these nonprofit organizations and spaces, they will become places where people will become comfortable sharing even if they don't always agree with what we have to say as leaders. Thank you for tuning in. Again, send us an email if you'd like to have some further conversations about this, bstlinc21 at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining. My name is Andre Anderson. I'm both host and founder. See you guys next week, Monday at 7 o'clock p.m. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is the recap Uh, And we always have a recap at the end of our show. So here, I got a couple of things that I want you to consider. Number one, number one, avoid the water cooler conversation. Number two, don't be afraid if you are at the water cooler to be able to say the things that have been stated there in a formal meeting 
so that everyone is on the same page. Number three, as a leader, please make sure that you do your best to be approachable, not just by those that like you, but those that are a part of your team that may not necessarily have the same level of comfort as you do speaking in meetings. I think if you take these three tips from this episode, you'll be able to build on something that lasts a little bit longer. Again, thank you for joining. See you again next week.